Hey there, everybody. We are so glad you joined us today. No matter what you've had going on this week, we are so glad you're here and you are welcome here because at Menlo Church, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect and anything is possible. We hope you'll enjoy the message. Let's take a look. Wow, I've never had a reception like that in a Presbyterian church. <laughs> Makes me think y'all don't go on charismatic. I love it. I love it. Sorry if I offended some of you with that comment. Uh, what a joy it is to be here with you all. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Uh, we are going to hang out there. Wow, they've got a little timer on me. It's cruel and unusual punishment to put a ticker on a chocolate preacher. Um, Reminds me of the time I was at a Presbyterian church in Charlotte, true story, a couple years ago, and whenever I'm a guest somewhere, I always ask the pastor, how much time do I have? And I'll never forget, I'm preaching the 11 o'clock service, and this pastor says, oh, dear brother, time means nothing here. We are a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. You let the Holy Spirit use you, but the people leave at 12. <laughs> so I will definitely, definitely be respectful of your time. Let me just say this. I absolutely love your pastor. Absolutely love John Orbert. Love this church. In fact, even before I moved here, my life was being shaped by uh, John and Nancy, and uh, God has entrusted to you two great leaders. In fact, my latest book, which came out this past fall, John actually wrote the foreword to, and um, the publishers decided to put his name above my name uh, on the cover of the book, True Story, and it's one of my top-selling books. I'm like, I should cut this guy a check or something, uh, but what a gift. What a gift he's graced you all with. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, James writes these words, be patient. Yeah, I didn't think I'd hear any amens there. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being, here's that word again, patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, verse 8, be patient. I think he's trying to make a point. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I love this. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain synonym for patience, steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen, make note of this phrase, we'll land the plane here, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Will you pray with me? Father, what a joy it is to be here. Um, I'm thrilled to be able to lock arms with Menlo Church. And thanks for the rich history here, the great leadership here. What a joy and what a delight it is to be here. 
God, it's somewhat daunting uh, speaking to an audience, Lord God, like this. I'm sure there are people who are just kind of spanning the spectrum. You have some who are here who grew up in the church, who uh, have been followers of you for decades, and other people wouldn't call themselves Christians. They're here just for maybe the first time, and maybe they're just seeking, investigating some things. But Lord, no matter where we may be, I, I pray that you would, you would encourage us with this word today, that you challenge us and ultimately change us. God, as the old African-American preachers used to pray, would you stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. As my grandmama used to say, would you put shoe leather on your word? Would you make it plain and practical, infused with a lot of vitamin A application for how we should walk in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the weirdest things that could ever happen to an oyster is to have lodged within the confines of its shell a little tiny grain of sand. Now typically when this happens, 99.9 times out of 100, this oyster can readily locate this grain of sand, dismiss or expel it from off of its premises and go on about the day's affairs. But now there are those rare moments where, try as this oyster may, it just can't get rid of this grain of sand. It's in a situation it can't get out of, a circumstance it can't change. And when this happens, this oyster finds itself irritated, frustrated, exacerbated, and any other kind of unsanctified aided. If I, was in, if I was with a different crowd, I would, I would quote the, uh, the mid to late 90s urban poet, okay, hip-hop artist, DMX, when he said, this oyster feels as if it's about to lose its mind up in here, up in here. <laughs> didn't really work. I didn't think so. <laughs> in fact, after the first service, true story, one lady says, what does up in here mean? Um, <laughs> African-American colloquialism for in this place. Um, it's about to lose its mind because, again, it's in a situation it can't change. It's at this moment, though, where something beautiful happens, and you know what I'm about to say. It's as if this oyster says to itself, if I can't get out of this situation, I might as well make the most of it. So it finds this grain of sand and coats it over and over and over again with a liquid substance that, ladies, when it solidifies, you pay top dollar for, <laughs> a pearl. You do know at the end of the day, all a pearl is is a fruit of a very frustrated oyster. So just think about that, ladies, next time you put your pearls on, you're wearing someone's bad day. Literally. <laughs> Literally. And yet, the truth is, if there was no irritation, frustration, exacerbation, if there was no sense of, I'm about to lose it, there would be no pearls. God has sent me across town to encourage you this morning, Menlo, that no matter where you may be in the spiritual spectrum, again, don't know Jesus to I grew up in Sunday school with the flannel boards, hearing about them since the earliest days of my life. If you've been made in the Imago Day like we all have, God has an assignment on your life. He wants to lift you up as a trophy of his grace, as a pearl of great price. Psalm 139 says, all of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Ephesians 2.10, Paul writing says that we are God's workmanship, Greek word poema, from which we get the English word poem from. Created for good works, God has created us on purpose and for a purpose. Your, your mom and dad may not have planned on you being here. One of the ways you know that, by the way, is if your closest sibling's a decade older than you, you was a surprise. But in the sovereignty of God, there are no surprises. On purpose, for a purpose. God wants to make us pearls. Now, if I'm with my Pentecostal brethren, cue the Hammond B3 organ, we're shouting right now. That's good stuff. Make me a pearl. But here's the un-American segment of the sermon. See, our problem is, while we love the destination, we just don't want the process. Because what's true in the natural is true in our lives. There are no such things as pearls without life's irritating, frustrating, exacerbating grains of sand. See, our problem is we want to get to where we're going quick, fast, and in a hurry. And yet if you could peruse God's kitchen, you would be shocked to discover that in God's kitchen there are no microwaves, only crockpots. <laughs> Some young lady's like, yes, that's right. You don't even know what a crockpot is, okay? <laughs> so God says, Brian, you're here, and I need to move you here. I need to do a work in you with your character. I, I want to take you from here to a place of fall-off-the-bone, succulent faith. But in order for me to do that, Brian, I, I need you to serve a couple tours of duty in my crock pot. So i got to put you in there, put the lid on you, turn the heat up low, and put you in situations where the letters behind your name can't solve it, your social network can't fix it, the money in your account or zip code can't get you out of it. You're going to get mad at me, Brian, but you're going to have to learn to trust me and to lift up your eyes into the hills from where your help comes from, knowing that your help comes from the Lord. Brian, you're going to have to learn to be patient. We come now to the book of James. If you're new to the Bible or Christianity, you should know that James sits in a section of the scriptures known as the New Testament, and specifically a genre of scriptures that we would call the epistles. Now, the lion's share of the epistles are written by a guy named Paul. If you were to ask the question, well, what's the difference between James' epistle and Paul's epistles? Um, Greek scholars, because the New Testament is written in Greek, would tell us that if you were to analyze and compare these epistles in their original language, um, James has what we would call the highest concentration of imperatives. Now, the idea of an imperative in Greek simply means a command. It's interesting, you analyze James's epistle in the original language, he, he talks in directives. It's one command after another command. In fact, the whole book begins with a command when he says, count it all joy. Now, 
in our text right out the gate. James begins with a command. It is as if he's grabbing us by the collar, looking us in the eyes, and in very direct ways he's saying, be patient. He's not recommending. He's not suggesting. He's not giving us tweetable advice to consider. He's commanding. Now, hang in there with me. This is as complicated as this little Sunday school lesson gets. But again, James is writing in Greek, and that phrase, be patient, two words in the English language, is actually one word in the Greek. It's a compound word, makrothumos. Makrothumos. Can you speak some Greek with me? Say it with me. Makrothumos. Macro, that prefix, um, simply means long. Thumos, the root, uh, it's from that, that, that root word, that, that Greek word, thumos, that we get the English word thermometer from, this instrument we use to measure heat. Thumos actually means anger. So literally, macrothumos means long towards anger. It, it means I'm in a situation where my anger is being tested. That's the word James uses for be patient. See, you don't learn patience in air-conditioned cushion pew environments. <laughs> you don't learn patience when the health is going well. You don't learn patience in one of those rare seasons when the kids are being compliant. You don't learn patience when your career is moving on that upward trajectory and the money is flowing in. You don't learn patience when all is going well with your roommate and at your college campus. Prosperity is a horrible teacher. You only learn patience when, when you said I do, you figured you could get pregnant on your own timetable. Here you are a half decade later dealing with issues of infertility, a barren womb, and a broken heart. You only learn patience when you wake up one morning and you feel a, a lump on your breast. You go to the doctor and they run some tests and you're diagnosed with breast cancer. You only learn patience when men, we just thought it was the annual physical, and a few days later, the doctor calls back saying our PSAs are a little elevated, and we come in for more tests, and we hear that dreaded phrase, prostate cancer. And just like that, we're scheduling surgeries. You only learn patience where... You're in that prolonged season of singleness, and you really want to get married, and you've been praying about it. And once again, you've got to put on one of those hideous bridesmaid dresses and stand at the altar. And I know what you're thinking. She's not even as cute as me. Now she's getting married ahead of me. And <laughs> I want to be careful with that analogy. The goal of singleness isn't marriage. You need to know that while there are a lot of single people who want to be married, there's a lot of married people who want to be single. You only learn patience when, no, you weren't that perfect parent, but you tried your best to raise that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But now they're out in the far country doing God knows what with God knows who. 
and you've had to reach the conclusion that yelling ain't helping, threats ain't helping, the best parenting you could ever hope to do is parenting from your knees waiting on God. Macrothumos. It was that venerable theologian, D.A. Carson, who teaches at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School there in Deerfield, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, in his wonderful book, Scandalous, he says, the reason why we Christians never, ever, ever pray for patience is because we are theologically sophisticated and astute enough to realize that embedded in the very request of patience lies another request, and that is, God, put me in something I don't like. Yet you need to understand that God is after so much more than your comfort and happiness. He's after his glory and your good. And you keep on inhaling and exhaling, friends. And all of us will do several tours of duty in God's divine crockpot. So what does patience look like, pastor? Just tell me, what, is it, what does it look like? I don't need to tell you. James tells us, if you want a picture of what patience looks like, look at verse seven. He says, look at the farmer. I love this. No farmer goes to his barren field before harvest season, looks down at that barren field, then up at God and says, God, in the name of Jesus, I command corn. Right now, God, waiting on you, do it. You know that's not how that works farmer goes to his barren field and he plows and he plows and he plows and he sows and he sows and he sows and he cultivates day in and day out, back-breaking work, and he does all of that under one fundamental principle, unless God sends the rain. My labor is in vain. It's as if the farmer says, I'm, I'm going to do my something while I wait on God to add his something, knowing that when God puts his something to my something, now we have something. So that the farmer teaches us that patience is never passive res resignation while I twiddle my thumbs. It is active participation. It is me doing all that I can. A, I'll never forget uh, the elders at Abundant Life when I was interviewing with them. They, they said to me, well, what's your theology of healing? I said, oh, that's easy. Pray and take your medicine. <laughs> Active participation. I pastored in Memphis for 12 years, and, um, and I'm a Delta guy, which means whenever I traveled anywhere, I had to travel through Atlanta. In fact, in Memphis, we had a wonderful saying that the way to hell, we'll have a layover in Atlanta. <laughs> so I remember I had to go up to Chicago, which is north of Memphis, and of course, that meant I had to first fly down south first uh, and change planes in Atlanta, and uh, I was running on a tight schedule as it was, and then we had some mechanical difficulty. They fixed it. We got the plane. We're flying to Chicago. My heart rate's getting a little elevated because I know we're landing at O'Hare. I got to speak at this event at 7 o'clock. I had to deal with a little bit of traffic. Tight, 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 tight schedule, and God bless the pilot. We get to Chicago, and unsolicited, this pilot decided to bless us with an aerial tour of the city of Chicago. We kept going around and around and around, and I'm getting really frustrated. Doesn't this pilot know I got places to be? You know, I got stuff to do and land the plane. But at that moment, you and I both know what's going on. 
This pilot wasn't being mean towards me. This pilot was in communication with a group of individuals who sat up in a tower, air traffic control, and they sat up high and looked down low. They knew stuff we didn't know. They saw what we didn't see. There's probably too much traffic in the air, and had we landed the plane on my timetable, maybe we could have died. Ever found yourself in a holding pattern? Just going around and around and around. I wish there was a couple people here who aren't that spiritual to say, I've actually found myself frustrated with God. Lay in the plane, God, I'm ready to get pregnant. Lay in the plane, God, I'm ready to be done with this health issue. Land the plane, God, and bring back that rebellious child. Land the plane, God, and get me that job. Land the plane in my marriage. Friends, you need to know that God sits up high and looks down low. He sees what you don't see, knows what you don't know. My grandmama used to say, of God, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Oh, I love this. <laughs> James says, while you're in your holding pattern, do not grumble. <laughs> James is writing to a group of ethnic Jews who have recently converted to Christianity, and I promise you, these ethnic Jews, he, the first thing they think of when they read verse 9 and they see the word grumble, they go back to their forefathers in the Exodus event, where all their forefathers did was murmur, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. And what happened? You, you do know that originally on their itinerary, the trip from Egypt to Canaan was supposed to only be six weeks. But because of their murmuring and grumbling, it turned, turned into a 40-year holding pattern. It's like God was saying, hey guys, we should have been there 39 years and 46 weeks ago. But because you keep complaining, I've had to lengthen your tour of duty in the crock pot. I wonder if God's saying that to someone here today. If God's saying, look, in my perfect will, we should have been off this page, out of this chapter, into the next book. But there's no joy there. Your attitude's off. See, what James is telling us in verse 9 is just because you're in the crock pot doesn't mean you're patient. Patience is about your attitude. I tell my church all the time, the church doesn't need old people. It needs patriarchs and matriarchs. There's a difference. If I could say a word to you seasoned saints, and no, you don't have the market cornered on grumbling and complaining, we understand that. But a patriarch and a matriarch, it's an individual who has leveraged the odometer of their journey with Jesus to invest down in future generations, inspiring them in their journey with God for a time they will not see. If you're a seasoned saint, 
over whatever, if you've got your AARP card, you should be holding court at Hobie's or at your house or some breakfast joint with young people beating down your door, coming to take notes and glean pearls of wisdom from your life. And yet if no one ever asks you for wisdom, it could be because your landscaping is off. There's no joy. There's bitterness grumbling and complaining, which, by the way, ain't cute. I remember when I was single, I took a girl out one time, and she just grumbled and complained the whole time. Nothing in me said, ooh, can we do this again? (laughs) Do not grumble. As we round third and head for home in our last four minutes and 58, 57 seconds that we have. (laughs) James writes in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. I wish my wife and kids were here right now. They're not. They're down in Anaheim. My my youngest son plays basketball, and he uh, went to some kind of a special basketball camp here, got ranked in the top 20 in the Bay, and if you got ranked in the top 20, then they take the best players on the West Coast, and you play at this camp down in Anaheim in front of all these college coaches. My son's a really good ball player. Around my house, we call him RP, retirement plan. (laughs) And I'm saving all these receipts. Just kidding, kind of, sort of, maybe. Uh, but from times a little guy, he's always loved basketball. In fact, uh, uh, wherever we've lived, his uh, his wall has been covered with with posters. Um, there's Michael Jordan training up a child in the way he should go, right? There's uh, Steph Curry. There's uh, Kobe Bryant. All of these all these incredible basketball players. And there's been times when I've stood in the doorway of his room. He hasn't seen me, and, um, and I'm watching him just look at these posters. You can just kind of see the wheels turning and the inspiration happening, and sure enough, moments later, he grabs his ball, goes outside to work on his game. That's what posters do. They inspire. James says, when you find yourself in life's crock pot, yeah, sit with your pastor, sort things out with a therapist if you have to, lean into community, But James says, beginning in verse 10, don't forget the prophets. They're your patience posters. The prophets are God's divine show and tell for his patience with you and I. Get to know Ezekiel. God says to Ezekiel, my people just aren't getting it, how patient I am with them. They're not understanding my immutability, my unchangeableness, the fact that I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Ezekiel, I want to use you as a visual demonstration of how profoundly patient I am with them. So what I want you to do, Ezekiel, strip down naked, leave on your loincloth, lay on your left side. Ezekiel's like, for how long? God says 390 days. Don't move. Why? because that's how patient I am with my people. Now I want you to let this sink in. You are here today because God is incredibly patient with you. If God ever gets impatient with you, done. God says to Hosea, another prophet, 
Hosea, I got a problem on my hands, man. I've married Israel. Israel, my bride, she keeps cheating on me by his words, whoring after other gods, by committing spiritual adultery, by sinning, and, and, and I've got the right to divorce her, but, but I need to show her how patient I am. So, so Hosea, I know you're single. You just graduated from seminary. You just got called to pastor that church. I got a bride picked out for you. I can just see Hosea smiling right now. Okay, God, what's her name? Her name is Gomer. Now, at this point, I ain't smiling anymore because I've never met a cute Gomer in my life. But anyways, sorry if your name's Gomer. But anyways, he says, oh, by the way, she's a prostitute. In chapter 3, verse 1, when she cheats on you, I need you to go get her. Don't wipe your hands clean of her. Because every time you all cheat on me, that's what I do with you. I'm patient. Then there's the number 23, the Michael Jordan of patience. James writes, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. I don't care how big or how long your crockpot is, it ain't nothing on Job's. Job chapter 1, he loses everything, goes to a funeral with 10 caskets, each casket holding one of his kids. Parents aren't supposed to bury kids. Covered from head to toe with boils. Wife chirping in his ear, curse God and die. And what does he have the audacity to say in Job 19? I know my Redeemer lives. Job teaches us whenever you go through tough times, always let what you know about God trump how you feel about God. Then he ends by saying, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Believe it or not, there's a purpose to the infertility. There's a purpose to the cancer. There's a purpose to the wayward child. There's a purpose to the unemployment. My wife and I spent five years at St. Jude's Children's Hospital with one of our kids. Ripped our heart out. And for all my theological learning, I, I didn't like it, and I pitched a fit. And at some point, God says, what are you going to say? I'm here. How can I turn this into a pearl? Growing up, my mama had an annoying hobby. It's called cross-stitching. Cross-stitching involves taking a piece of cloth and weaving threads in and out of it. I call it annoying because mama would always do this sitting on a sofa, and I'd always watch her do this by sitting at her feet, which means I was looking at it from the bottom up. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched someone cross-stitch from the bottom up, but all you see is dangling threads, no rhythm, no rhyme, no reason. I'm, I know I'm in California, but I grew up in Atlanta, so I don't know if this southern idiom will work here, but mama would do this for hours, and there were times in which I thought mama's cheese had slid off her cracker. <laughs> 
One day as a little boy, I couldn't take it. I said, Mama, 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 I don't get why you do this. All I see is dangling threads. I don't really see any kind of order or beauty or rhythm here. You just do this for hours. What in the world? And Mama just smiled, and she patted on the sofa next to her, inviting me to sit down next to her. When I sat down next to her, I no longer saw things from the bottom up. Now I saw it from the top down. And seeing it from the top down, I saw a completely different picture. I saw order and beauty, a form-taking shape. And years later, in reflecting on that, it dawned on me, isn't that the problem with life? It's the problem of perspective. All we see are the dangling threads. No rhythm, no rhyme, no reason. God is patting on the sofa saying, oh, if you could sit down next to me, you would see that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. If you sat down next to me, you would say with Joseph, who after years in his crock pot, when faced with his brothers, could say to them in Genesis 45, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is saying, you're gonna have to trust me. I'm up to something in your life. Be patient. Will you pray with me? You know, sometimes we hear the word of God and God's word says his word will never return void. It's always a good word. But there's other times we hear the word of God and um, not only is it a good word, but it's what, what the Bible calls a word in season. It's right where I'm at at that given moment. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. But I believe that someone's here today and you heard this word and it's a word in season. It's right where you're at in this moment. You're in the crock pot. And I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip your hand in the air? Pastor, that's me. I'm in the crock pot. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are going through. I don't need to know what it is they're going through, but you know, and I can say you know, because Psalm 8 says, what is man that you are mindful of him? God, you're mindful of us. Jesus, you said in the Sermon on the Mount, not a single sparrow falls to the ground and you don't know about it. So God, you know. You know about the health issues. You know about the anxiety I'm dealing with as I'm awaiting test results. You know about what's going on with my child. You know about my longings with my career, my longings with this relationship. You know about the financial situation. You know about the hell that I'm going through in this marriage. You, you know. But not only that, Psalm 8 actually says, or the Son of Man, that you care for him. So God, not only do you know, but you actually care. So we rebuke the enemy right now who would seek to whisper in our spirits and say, God doesn't really care. No, that's a lie. God cares. Would you just whisper that to yourself right now? God cares. Yeah, he does. He cares. 
So, Father, I end this prayer by not quoting a prosperity theologian or some televangelist. I am now going to quote your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Jesus said in John 15 that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So I just, I just want to put that back on you right now, God. And here's what I'm praying. Bring back the wayward child in the season of fertility. Heal of that sickness. Grant the job. Replenish the finances, in that season of loneliness. Speak life into that marriage that's been derailed. God, show up. But in the meantime, in between time, while we're in the crock pot, give us the strength to be patient, to not grumble, and to be filled with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I hope that this message blessed you, challenged you, inspired you to live differently this week as a follower of Jesus. And we hope you'll come back next week and join us again. And in the meantime, stay in touch with us on social media. Have a great week.